Hello, everybody. Greetings from Lahti, Finland this time. I'm here with a very special guest tonight. Uh, I have a friend here by the name of Hannu Lahtinen, who is the CEO and the director of Voice for the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Finland. And I was introduced to him first when I was a child, I think about seven years old. And my parents were working in the Middle East with a Finnish development aid slash missions organization. And so we lived in Jordan in the Middle East and Hannu was there working also as a, as a missionary, as a real missionary. And so I got to know his children who were about my age. They became friends. And then later they moved to the same city as us in, in Finland. And so we got to know their family even more. And eventually when I turned to follow Jesus, I decided to follow Christ and he called me into the mission field. Uh, Anu was always my role model and he was always my good example because from him I always heard the stories of what God is really doing in the nations of the world and in the hard places. And God had called me to some of these same places where he has been working and uh, he was the only one I knew who was actually bringing the gospel into these places and paying a price to follow Christ. And so whenever I got to spend time with him, he took time to sit down and share stories and share wisdom. And this, I must say, I must say it became a key influence even in my story and my journey and my life. And, and so I want that blessing that I had to be shared with all of you guys. And so today I will sit down with brother Hannu Lahtinen and just share some of his story and some of his wisdom and just uh, let him exhale and kind of bleed out what God has marked his life with and done in his life. And I believe it will challenge us all and it will encourage us all to follow Christ in, in radical ways and in beautiful ways. And so today, Brother Hannu, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a it's a great pleasure and privilege to be with you, Matthias, here today. And I have to say that I have been following your story since you were a child and and uh, you could have become a very good ice hockey player. Yeah. You were very talented, but I think uh, you have a bigger bigger game to play in God's field and and uh, today you are my example uh, going to nations as a young uh, fire burning uh, missionary I'm really proud of you thank you thank you brother and it goes to show too how how important it is to just share your life with a person I'm sure if, if you're anything like me you probably have your moments of just thinking what's the point is is uh, what's the fruit coming out of all of this and and wh what will the legacy be it, at, at least i have these thoughts and and so i just want you to know that all of those hard times that you had on the field all of those moments where you thought oh, nothing is coming out of this at least there was one young boy who heard those stories and took them to heart and said, I want to live a life like this. And so all of the fruit that has come through my life is also applied to your life in a way, because uh, it, it can all be somehow traced back to 
those moments of God setting a fire in my heart when you were sharing and you were showing example. And so today, yeah, like I said, I want to share that blessing with the world and uh, would love to just hear your story and what you have to say. So a part, a big part of your story and your work is just uh, now, as I said, you are the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs in Finland and your main work is just spreading awareness and and shining light on the situation of the church internationally and encouraging believers to pray and to support and and to help the the bleeding family the hurting church and and so i wanted to do this in finnish for the finnish people but i realized you already work in finland i probably won't be reaching anyone that you're not reaching but we have this is being listened to i think in 25 nations until now and uh, a lot of people who are actually living in those countries where we're working and so i would love to just hear your story how how you ended up here from this tiny town up north in finland yeah it's a it's a long story i was uh, i was maybe 15 16 years old and just come to the lord and i was uh, uh, I, I didn't know the Lord, but my, my good friend came to visit me and he was shining, you know. But yes, and I asked him, hey, what has happened to you, my my friend? Do you have a new girlfriend? That was the only thing I was I was I could think that time, but he said, No, something else happened in my life. I found God. God is real. And I was very shocked because he came from a atheist family and they were always putting down all both this Christian stuff and uh, and he said, Hanno, you need this uh, this God too, and Jesus is real." And and I started thinking, uh, you know, as a young boy, that uh, is there something after this life? And uh, and and once this uh, this friend of mine took me, said that come with me. I said, "Where? You will see it later." And he took me to the church and. There were only two 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 seats uh, free in the front, and I was looking if there is any place where is exit so I can run away from here. But there was something like uh, atmosphere. I didn't know anything about Holy Spirit, mm. but uh, but somehow God was there. And uh, then I heard like two voices. One voice was saying, "Hanno, please uh, go away now. Don't you understand what your friends will say?" They will all laugh at you and your life will be just the regulations. Everything's forbidden in your life. You know, now is your time. Please go away, disappear. But then another voice like I was hearing, one day you will be alone in in uh, in front of my, my throne. So kind of fear of God came on me and I started praying and everybody were looking. I stood up and everybody were looking at me. Hey, what is this guy doing? And uh, I didn't know how to pray uh, anything. But I said, uh, Jesus, if you are somehow real, if this is real, I don't want to go to hell. And then I was shocked because such an electric fire uh, it came to me, and I, I I knew God is real, and everything looked uh, looked so different. I went out, and I went to my parents, started 
telling, you know, Jesus is real. And, and they said, Hanno, I, we know you are a good boy, you good boy. Everything will be, will be okay after two, three weeks. Everything will be fine, you know. You will leave this all. But uh, And then next day in the school, I was sharing to everyone. And people started coming to the Lord. And uh, yeah, I was helping, you know, sharing the Lord. Uh, that was my passion from the very beginning, just to share, I'm just a simple man who is sharing what God is doing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the, he's the salvation uh, and hope for, for everybody. And uh, religion is, this is not just a religion, this is life. And uh, But then uh, I, I learned in the church to pray our Father in heaven, and I, I started praying that, oh, God, you are a good God. You are God in heaven. You are above everything else. So you have to have all the power as well because you are the highest one. And you are Alpha and Omega, you are the first and the beginning. Wow, I had, you are awesome God. We are, I'm worshiping and serving mighty God, the father of the universe, you know, and uh, then, uh, then I realized that uh, in this prayer, hallowed be thy name. So I understood that Jesus, I need to have everything in my life for you. Everything here, every wow. corner in my life. And wow. make your name known among the nations as you are Jesus, really, you know. Yeah. So that the nations of the world will get to know who you really are, God, you know. They have a very wrong idea of God, you know. Uh, but uh, then there was a part of prayer, Thy will be done in heaven as it in earth. And so I said, you know, sometimes we pray, Matthias, like this, okay, Jesus, here I am, do whatever you want in in my life. I'm ready, you know. I will, It was very easy for me to pray like this. Uh, today I think twice <laughs> I pray like this. But um, I was praying something like this, and I started feeling... Uh, you know, I will take you to such people who have never heard about me. And I was excited. Mm. I thought God will take me somewhere to Latin America or so, because that time many missionaries went there. I thought there is not this uh, very dark Finnish winter, not cold, and people are happy and dancing. But uh, uh, to make a long story short, um, uh uh, one day I, I saw uh, a picture, a very clear picture, and there were people uh, people from North Africa, Middle East, like that uh, kind of... Kind of a vision. Yeah, vision, yeah. Very clear picture. Mm -hmm. And that was not the nighttime, it was the daytime, and, and people were like uh, very tired, very oppressed, uh, in, in in chains, and they were crying for help. Mm. And then I realized, oh no, we are not in Finland. This is in the Middle East, North Africa, those those areas. And I I realized that these are Muslim people. Mm. And then I I I have to be honest. I had the first time problem with God. I mean. I didn't know anything about Islam like that, but I knew that they are very bad. They are terrorists. They are doing bad things. And this is almost 30 years back, you know. So I went to I went to uh, my pastor and I said, uh, 
said to him, Is it so that uh, not all the prophecies and visions are not from God? Maybe they're just, uh, you know, from own imagination like that. And of course, pastors, they are very wise people, as you know from your father, you know. And he said, not all the prophecies are from God. They can be partly, you know, from the flesh and and all this stuff he he explained to me and uh, I was so happy. Okay, this is clear. I can forget everything I saw. Yeah. But then he disappointed me. This pastor said, he said, but you and your wife, we feel as the leadership of the church, you will call the Muslim world. Mm. Wow. Then I, I I knew it already inside that this is the way, but I tried somehow. Yeah. Not to go that direction. Uh, I was thinking, God, you know that uh, I, I love to be with young people. I want to preach to young people. I want to go to rock concerts and mm-hmm. preaching on the streets, everywhere, you know, schools about Jesus Christ here in Finland. Mm-hmm. No, no, it, it's true. It's very important. But your your way will go to Muslim people, okay? Um but as I said, I didn't know so much about Islam that time. So I thought I need to get to know, uh, visit a Muslim country to see how it is. And I heard about a group from uh, other countries that they will go and visit Libya, okay? Uh, you know, Libya at that time, Muammar Gaddafi, you know, Libya, big man. And uh, no church in Libya at that time, no indigenous church. So I met these people for the first time on the island of Malta. And I thought that this trip is like a cultural trip. You will see how is the food. Food is always very important to us, you know. Mm. And what is the mosque, minaret, Arabic language, Loja Arabia, etc., you know, get the feeling of the like, mm. the feeling of the place, and I think that that, that was a good point, you know, mm. just to see. But uh, then I saw in Malta, what they, what are these guys doing? You know what they were doing? They were packing their luggage with Bibles and outreach material. Mm. I said, what the, what what are you doing? You're crazy! This is uh, this is forbidden. This is fanatic Muslim country, you know. And they look at me and said, Brother Hanu, you know that uh, Libyan people, they need Jesus. Mm. And I was so shocked what on earth I will do, you know. But I couldn't return back home, you know why? Because church had paid my trip. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there, I was thinking what on earth I will do. And uh, I thought that because uh, I can I can say what is my role in, th- in, my, in this team, I am, because I'm so tall, I am like Father Abraham, you know. And, you know, I had a picture of Abraham that is a big man, placing right and left and every nation and always smiling. I thought that I will not carry any luggage with Bibles, but I will just take a distance from the group when they go to customs in Tripoli, Libya. And I am just uh, distant away from them and blessing them, you know. Very coward, you know, very coward. But this is what I was thinking. But then there was one guy in the in the group, he said, Hanno, 
my luggage is heavy. Could you please help me to carry it? I thought, why on earth didn't you go to the gym, you know? But it was too late. So we were carrying the luggage together. And I was praying. I don't know if you know the prayers like it is, God, you have to help me now. I said, Lord, you know, I have wife, I have small son, please, you have to help me now. Then we came to customs and the customer man, you know, he smiled at me and he said in Arabic, Ahlan wa Sahlan, welcome to Libya. And I was happy, God, you have done a miracle in my life. Yeah. Like that time, many people were smuggling from Finland. Bibles to Soviet Union, and they told all kinds of miracle stories, you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was uh, sleeping in Tripoli in the, in the hotel in the night, and at that time there were no mobile phones, you know, and the telephone was uh, ringing. Uh, it was one o'clock in the night, and I went out to pick up the phone, and there's a voice like this, This is police! immediately down to reception. You have brought illegal books into this country. And I knew why they called me in the night, because they had not good ideas for me, not good intention. I had just heard that another group had tried to bring Bibles to country two weeks before, and they were put immediately without trial to prison, you know. And, you know, prisons are not like uh, in Western countries. You know, here in Finland, if you go to prison, you can study, you can learn cooking, you can, you can go to gym. It's really like a nice hotel, resting place. But there it's a different story, okay? So I was really afraid. I was shaking, not uh, by the power of the Spirit, uh, and I put down telephone, and it was ringing again, and the same shouting. I don't know anymore what happened. It, it's not anymore clear to me, but uh, then an idea came to me. But you are a pastor. I was a young pastor at that time. Youth pastor. Yeah. No, no, I was a pastor in, oh, uh, right. in, in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, before I was youth pastor, but that time I was pastor. And uh, and uh, I said to God, what does it matter if I'm a pastor or a pizza deliverer, taxi driver or something? You remember what you were preaching last Sunday on the church? Of course I remember. I said, hey church, we are a winning team. We will win the game, even though we don't know how to how to how to shoot the ball, but uh, we, we, we will win you, okay? Yeah. We are champions, you know, and uh, we are more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8, you know, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, not the hardship, not the devil, not persecution, nothing. And uh, that I was preaching like a liar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, preaching goes, you know, more or less good, but then there's one uh, tough point in preaching, and this is application to our life. Yeah. And that was now one week after my preaching. I was in, in the night in Libya in this hotel. It was time for my application. 
And uh, Matthias, that night uh, something happened. Uh, it changed my life a lot. Uh, you know, uh, I bowed down in that hotel room. I said to God, uh, God, you know, I don't like Muslims because they are doing so many bad things to your people. And I don't like them. But uh, Jesus, I don't negotiate anymore. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I want to share eternal gospel, gospel of salvation, gospel which is changing lives mm. to these people. They need you. If you save me from this moment or not, I'm ready, you know. And then uh, something happened which has never happened again. Such a glory of God came to that hotel. I couldn't say anything anymore. I was just there in the uh, presence of God, you know. It was a very holy moment. And to my big surprise, telephone was not ringing anymore. And we had a very good trip in Libya. Then I went back to my church, and one mom, I, I'm so happy, so thankful, when I'm now serving uh, persecuted Christians in different parts of the world, how Holy Spirit is leading people of God to pray. Mm. Holy Spirit never uh, puts uh, us to pray to wrong address. He always knows. He's always updated, 100%. Mm. Always updated. Holy Spirit is the spirit of updating, you know. And um, one mom asked me when I went back home, uh, what happened to you one o'clock in the night? It was the same day and the same night, one o'clock in the night. I asked her, why do you ask me? She said, I was deep in a sleep. But I woke up and I saw your face. You were in a very dangerous situation. And Hanu, I started praying for you. I prayed for you so long time that you were happy and smiling again. <laughs> what happened? So she was very surprised when I said what happened exactly the same time. Wow. Yeah, then you remember, Matthias, uh, to make a long story short, uh, we met then in 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 Jordan, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. You were you were the pastor there in this tiny town. Yeah. Called Suolahti. No, I was in Porvo. Actually. Oh, Porvo. Porvo. Yeah, but okay. I was in Suolahti before that, so there's so many many stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, you, yeah, you were living this life of enjoying the Lord and sharing His Word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Preaching the gospel and everybody's happy. And now you had this. In Finnish, we have the word baptism of fire. Like uh, you were faced with this, yeah, this reality, this rough reality that you yes. felt like God was calling you to, and it was very uncomfortable for you. Like we have these thoughts these days somewhere in the church that oh, God will call you where your dreams are. And and whatever you wish, God placed those desires and yeah, yeah, yeah. how you where you you feel most comfortable and natural. Yeah. But this was for you completely outside of what you ever wanted, and you had this moment of surrender of Lord, not my will but yours, which then changed everything. And so then you ended up as a as a missionary, a full time missionary in the Middle East, in in uh, Jordan first. 
And so how did, how did that go? What were you up to there? Like, uh, um, cause, cause I know Finnish missions is, is very different these days than what, what you were doing. Yes. Uh, you know, my heart has always been uh, preaching the gospel. I believe in preaching the gospel. Jesus says very clearly, uh, preach the gospel to every creature, mm. to every nation. Amen? Amen. Every people has the right to hear the word of God. Mm. Unpreached gospel is no gospel at all. Mm. So uh, I don't personally believe only humanitarian work. Many mission organizations to be honest, they have stopped preaching the gospel. Mm. It's just humanitarian word, work. And I think uh, there should be balance. We want to help people, mm. of course. Of course, yeah. And like, yeah. like you mentioned, helping them, of course. But at the same time, we're preaching gospel. So in this way, Matthias, mm. nothing has changed. So, so I've been always, my heart has been open to help people in need, people of God especially, like this, but preaching the gospel, because only the church has the mandate to bring people beyond the river, mm. to face eternity. Mm. Amen. So we went to Jordan. Um, we started in the language school, mm. and uh, and uh, I that, that was, uh, that was, you know, you really go down when you start <laughs> studying Arabic language. I don't know if you studied Arabic that much, but... Uh, but it was really, really tough. And uh, I I remember, you know, being like an idiot, feeling like an idiot, you know. You come from the church life and people were coming to the Lord in Porvo. Then you are in a small class and... Old tante, auntie is there teaching with the pictures. There were nine, nine pictures. You know, there was a comb, there was a watch, there was a ball, book, etc. And we were repeating these words day by day. Yeah. Book, ball, like this, you know. And uh, one day, you know, she was old type of uh, teacher, and she really. Criticized, always she realized when something going wrong, and all all the time something going wrong. I th I thought I will never make it, uh, but one day she said, "Hanu, you are doing very well now." Yeah, and I was I became proud immediately. I went to my Arabic neighbor and I started repeating all these words, etc. I had learned, and they uh, they look at me those Arabs and asking what language you are speaking <laughs> to us. So my ball was really uh, lost at times. Uh, but then uh, I said, and all the doors were closed as well. You yeah. know, I thought I had some contacts, connections there, but it was really, but I, you, I, I'm not actually shared about these things, but uh, many connections I got with whom to work, etc., etc., they turned out to be nothing. So I was really fighting against bitterness. How can people do like this? And what is this all about? And then this language problem, cultural problems. Then I said, God, if you don't help me, 
I don't want to just waste here my time. I never f forget the situation leading the first Muslim in Arabic language to Jesus Christ. It was a nice moment. I'm not a great evangelist like you are, Matthias, today, but for me, winning souls to Jesus, this is still number one in my life, you know. And um, and then we have uh, we have uh, work, you know, uh, reaching reaching people with other other Arabs from different nations and training people and uh, underground work, you know. In those countries, you can work in the church. You can preach to the preach in the church. You can dance in the church. You can do whatever you like. But once you call the Muslims, you cross the red line. So that's that's forbidden. So you also ended up in in the surrounding countries in in Syria at least. Yeah, yeah, and uh, some others as well. But Syria was. Uh, Syria started like um, I met somehow, you know, like by accident, an old uh, Norwegian pastor. Mm -hmm. They visited Amman, and because they are from Scandinavia, I wanted to invite them our home and have a cup of coffee. And uh, this old man, he looked at me and said, "Young boy, you need to go up to Aleppo." I said, what is Aleppo? There was not the Syrian war that time. Mm. He said, it's a big city in the northern Syria. I didn't forget it, but to go to Syria? No, no, never, never to Syria. Oh boy, what is this again? Then we, then there was in Amman, there was uh, like a conference, praying conference, uh, for the surrounding nations, that there were people from surrounding nations, Arab Christians from Egypt, Iraq, Syria, etc. And we were praising the Lord, praying, and suddenly somebody came and touched me there uh, during the praise time mm. and said, sorry that I disturbed you, but I saw a picture above you. I don't tell you now what was it. And they said, uh, these people said, we come from Aleppo. And God is telling us, you should come there. Mm. Then I, I really felt like being a missionary, you know. Uh, I started smuggling there. It was forbidden that time to do that. Uh, uh, teaching material, etc., up to Aleppo. Uh, I went by a very rotten bus there, and uh, it's a one-way, one-day trip going up there. And uh, I remember once I was uh, in Damascus, stuck. Always went by a service taxi where there are many other people from Amman to Damascus. And uh, but the last short road, I, I took a normal taxi to go to bus station. And this uh, taxi driver tried to get a little bit more money from me. I said, please, uh, my friend, don't do that because I live here. I know the prices, okay? But he was mad. And he took me to bus station to the police officers, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the airport there, you know. They were checking the luggage, everything. And 
I thought, why on earth I didn't give some uh, extra money for this taxi driver to avoid this bad situation? Because if they see my luggage, what is there, you know, it will be a big problem. But uh, while they were starting to opening the luggage, a Syrian man came and started talking to this policeman. I didn't know that man. I was just looking, hey, what's going on in here? And then suddenly policemen, they were smiling at me. They said, Masalami, Rechla Saida, have a nice day and a safe trip. And then this man said to me, please uh, come to cafeteria, I want to talk to you. He said, do you remember me? I said, I've never met you. Oh, last year you were in Aleppo and you gave me Al-Injil. This means the New Testament. And I received it. And now I'm one of you. Then he said, I saw you, you were in a trouble, so I wanted to help you a little bit. I said, Sukran Chasil, and thank you so much. So I wanted to continue my way to Aleppo. When you go to Middle East, you get to know one Arabic work, and this is Muhabbarat, mm. the secret police. You know, uh, secret police uh, called me in Aleppo. We had meetings there, and we saw God moving. This was really outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, even I saw people being healed there, even from cancer, people coming to the Lord. Wow. And I, I couldn't, you know, this was this was amazing time. And we didn't know that the, the war was just about to start, which we all know. Mm. But there was a special time there, but the secret police, Bukhabarat, uh, called me. And uh, they asked me, who, who has uh, sent you to Aleppo? And as a Finnish man, we have to say the truth, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I was, I think, who has sent me? I said, God has sent me. Mm. Oh, how can you say that God has sent you to Aleppo? I said, Mr. Muhabarat, because uh, my God is a living God. He is speaking to me. He said, go to Aleppo. And they were writing down, God has called him to go to Aleppo. <laughs> it was so funny. Then they asked me, but what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, you cannot say so directly what we were doing because, you know, it's it's forbidden there. And so I was praying, Lord, help me. What should I say? I said, then I said, oh, I'm bringing you a baraka. Baraka means blessing. Blessing is a huge subject in the Bible. We often uh, wish each other, God bless you, etc., without thinking about it, but it's a very big thing. And even among the Muslims, baraka is a big thing. And they said, really, you have come far away from Finland to bring us a baraka? I said, yes. And they said, he has come to Syria to bring us a, a, a baraka, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And uh, so, so you were working there in the Middle East, sharing the gospel, discipling believers. And then uh, I remember one day I came home from school. And your children were at our home waiting for us to come. They were sitting outside and I asked what's going on here. And 
we were told that Hamnel has been arrested and they have been told to leave the country within whatever 24 hours that the rest of the family has been told to leave the country and so we're sorting it out and the kids are here for now and so i remember that being quite a chaotic week in the in the finnish circle uh what happened how what was this part of the story uh yes um as I told you, Matthias, you know, uh, we are not uh, um, allowed to preach a gospel. Mm. Gospel that actually I didn't go in a stupid way yeah. to street to share Bibles or something like this. Yeah. You know, you know, it's very easy there to share the gospel. I sit, for example, in cafeteria somewhere. Wherever I am, you know, people ask me, hey, who are you? Where are you from? And then about next thing is, are you Christian or a Muslim? So uh, if you like or not, you always evangelize, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, very, it's, 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 more, it's easier there to share the gospel than here in Finland, which is like a so, so post-Christian, you know. But, but with Muslims, it's a lot easier because uh, for everybody they believe there is God, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they say, so I was sharing and I was all the time training people to do this. And, uh, and uh, yes, we, we, we did all these things. And uh, we, I knew that Mukhabarat secret police was behind me, after me. But, um, but uh, I, I felt we have to do this. Actually, if I tell the story, what happened, like a half year, six months before that, I was invited to speak in a missions conference in Finland. Mm. And during this time, I was going by car with, uh, with the family, and they started praying in the car. And there was a prophecy, Hanno, you will come back to Finland. I said, no, no. I, I thought, no, no, no. My life is in the Middle East. I'm working with Muslim background believers. I'm helping them, walking with them when they when they face troubles, you know. They are persecuted. They have to leave homes. We help them. Secretly, we were praying and reading the Bible, doing all these things. Never. This is real life. I never want to go back to Finland. Okay, that was one thing. Then another thing was, I saw picture again. Like a vision. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I told it to my wife, Anne, as well. It was in our, in our home. You have visited us there, Matthias. And um, in this picture, in this vision, I saw how policemen came to arrest me. Mm. They put me in chains. I was sitting in a chair, and I... I I couldn't do anything. But then suddenly, without the help of a human hand, these chains were opened, and I walked away. I told this Anne, one week after this, on the seventh circle in Amman, I was at the gas station, and exactly the same policeman came there to arrest me, which I saw in that vision wow. one week before. And they took me to police, uh, to secret police uh, station, 
you know, you don't talk about weather or the sports or something there. Um, uh, soldiers came with guns. They closed my eyes and cars, and they took me to prison. I remember when I was taken taken to prison in a vehicle. Uh, somebody asked me, why are you here? I couldn't see, I couldn't do anything. I said to my friend, I am here because of you. God has sent me here. This is your day. If you listen to the words I say to you, uh, gates of heaven will open to you. Then they put me to first prison and... Um, and there were many others in the same prison cell, and they asked me, why are you here? I said, I can tell you because here we have a lot of time. Everybody were laughing, you know. Uh, then they took me sometimes out of the cell. We were on the corridors there, but we couldn't even stand. They were with guns, you know, guarding us. Then they put us back to the box. And I said, now we go back to Radisson Hotel. <laughs> they were again laughing, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, those guards, they were smiling and scorning from the door, you know, this small, you know, looking. And, and I said, uh, I don't have to say anything to you. You know, my God, I, I'm not judging you, okay? But my God will judge you. Whoever organized this, I heard years after this what happened. This leader of the Muhammad secret police who did this, after one, one week, he was caught from bribery or something, and he was put to prison for 10 years. Then they took us from the first prison to other prisons with the, with the special bars, and I was the last one. Everybody else were distributed to other prisons. And you know what they do when we serve the persecuted Christians, they want that we are forgotten. People are forgotten there. Nobody cares. Actually, persecuted Christians, we could call them forgotten people, you know, mm. so that nobody knows what, where they are so they can do whatever they want. That other prison was a little bit a scary place, and uh, and like your father said, uh, when he was outside uh, one prison, he saw bad things there. You know, he he was uh, sure that they could do something for me, and I've seen people, you know, they do bad things there, and I said, Lord, help me. What should I do now? Then I said to those guards, uh, before they put me to the box, which was the other prison, very small cell, you know, just a voice coming, trying to make you crazy, you know. Uh, I said, Lord, help me, give me a wisdom. Then I said, can I call from here? At that time, they were already this, you know, this Nokia mobile, 3100 yeah, yeah, very nice, small. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they 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 were uh, shouting at me. Why on earth you want to call from here? Nobody's calling from here. 
Then they asked me, why do you want to call? I said, in our culture, we have a custom, if you come, if you don't come home in the evening, you have to call your wife. Oh, really, you have such a, such a customs at home. Then they discussed, I said, okay, okay, <clears throat> you can call your wife, but only very shortly. You speak Arabic, so we understand, is it okay? They gave me the phone. I didn't call my wife, but I have got to know one man who is working for United Nations. He's not a believer, but he said, Mr. Hanno, if you sometimes need something, don't hesitate to contact me. And I called him, and he could locate the place where I was, and he came to see me in that box, the small prison cell, and uh, he asked me, are you a criminal? I said, you know what kind of criminal I am? He said, I know, actually. But you know, this is there is at stake the reputation of United Nations. So he put the whole reputation and authority of United Nations, and he could get me out, but never back home. So I couldn't say goodbye to my friends, not moving, house, nothing. They took me to the airport. There was a pastor with whom I was working. He was crying. He came to hug me. And uh, actually, it cost him a prison too, hmm. imprisonment. They were so angry to me. Then afterwards, when I was back home, um, I got a letter from uh, Finnish government. They called me from Finnish government. And they said that we have an official letter from Jordanian government, what happened. And they said, um, we had to do this with Mr. Lahtinen, because we have tried to stop him for many years, but nothing helps with him. If he continues in this country, this country will be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was... Uh, that was like this. There were some, some lies as well that I don't have the papers like this. I have old official papers, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. So that's a big story right there that we don't have many in our country. And uh, yeah, there's actually a book written partly about your life called Han Kutsui Minua by Daniel Miettinen in Finnish. And so I've read that book and I find it very, very encouraging and inspiring. And I'd recommend people to read that. But m- my question would be like, like you mentioned, you didn't do something super stupid. You, you are trying to be wise, but your, your main goal was that the gospel of Jesus would, yeah. would advance. And if, if I went there again, I would preach gospel even more. I never regret of preaching gospel, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should be stupid or like this. I I know the culture. I know the. I got to know language pretty well. I I, I understand their way of thinking, etc. You know, but I'm I, I was I was preaching like uh, by answering their questions. You know, and even this is not forbidden. It should not be forbidden. But you know, they were angry because people coming to the Lord. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, I know how it is. Like, it, like you said, it's a lot easier over there because people come and they say, "What is your religion?" Yeah, they ask, "What do you believe?" Yeah, and so you have to answer questions, and so, so like, uh, it, it's what I find, or or the way I want to see this, and the takeaway I want to take from this is we're not afraid to pay a price for the gospel. But at the same time, we don't want to pay a price for being stupid. Yeah, like, that's it. Like, exactly. But at the same time, we never want to compromise the the mission that we've been given. And so the the goal is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be known in these nations. Yeah. I'm so happy that somebody came and shared the gospel to me. That's yeah. why I'm this wow. But you know, when, when the secret police interviewed me, they they never played me for preaching gospel to Muslims. They only ask it if I'm teaching Muslims. I said I'm not teaching Muslims because technically I preach in the gospel, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I I I don't know what to say, but they never said uh, something like this, you know. But then they they I was uh, when I was interviewed by Bukhabarat, uh I, I shared everything in English, but then they said in Arabic, because they didn't understand that I understand Arabic, they said, Had al-Mawdu'a-Tabshir, this is a question of preaching the gospel to Muslims, you know, yeah. Okay, so so then you have this experience, of course, this this very, very difficult experience of being put in handcuffs and you don't know if you'll ever see your friends again, if you'll ever see your wife, your kids again. You don't know how long you will live. You don't know what your future is like and you're stuck alone into this cell like a dog and treated poorly. And you're doing this for for Christ, that same Jesus who you fell in love with as a young man and you, you were on that floor on your knees and saying, Lord, do whatever you want with my life. May your kingdom come. And uh, you, you paid this price for him, and it seems like you have no regrets. It seems like he was totally worth it. It yeah. seems like like you, you wouldn't be willing to give even much more, yeah. and he would deserve it all. And then you ended up in this new job of, of serving the persecuted church. And so, again, you're, you're the leader of... Voice of the Martyrs Finland, which is an organization that is serving the persecuted church yes. around the world. So so what does this mean? What do you mean by persecution and how widespread it is it? And well, what is this well, about? are statistically uh, most persecuted people on the face of the earth. Hundreds of millions of Christians, they pay the price by believing Christ. This is all because of his namesake. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jesus says in Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness sake for this is the kingdom of God. For righteousness sake. Mm -hmm. Not because they are evildoers or something, but because of the name of Jesus, okay? And if you look, Matthias, the book of Acts, you know, it was always, you know, we have Try to forbid them to speak in this name, okay? Mm. Because there's a power mm. 
in the name of Jesus. Hell is fearing yeah. the name of Jesus, you know, because there is power. There is no power in the name of Hanno, not even in the name of Matthias, but in the name of Jesus, okay? Yeah. Hallelujah. That's why that's why devil is hating it. And, and we see that uh, devil is hating it, that the gospel is going forward, like Matthew 24, 14 says, gospel will be preached to every nation, and then the end will come. And what does this end mean for the devil? Like uh, Revelation uh, 12, devil has come down to the earth, and he's very angry because he knows he has a uh, uh, little time. Yes. And, and the more gospel spreads to the unreached people groups, the less he has time. Yeah. And he hates those who believe in him. And, and Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live in godly life will be persecuted. If you never have any opposition from the others, you have to ask, are you really following the Lord? Even in Western countries, you know, okay, the, the persecution level may be different uh, in Iran, in Eritrea, in, in northern Nigeria, China, etc. It is. North Korea, it is uh, much more severe. But even here in our Western countries, you, you will face opposition. You may lose your job. You may not be elected to a job because uh, you are confessing to Christian. Mm. Yes, Christianity is put all the time, you know, marginalizing, put into the corner, okay? So th there is always because of the name of Jesus. So if we think of Christian persecution, it's, uh, it's growing all the time, it's more severe, but, uh, yeah, in those areas, we work with uh, persecuted uh, Christians. If I think of uh, countries like Eritrea, for example, in Africa, I, I, I think of there now uh, pastors who have visited Finland, very famous. They have now been 7,000 days. It's almost 20 years in prison without even putting into the court. They have not seen they, they have not seen their children growing, their grandchildren, nothing. They are just somewhere because of the name of Jesus. Just because they follow Jesus. Just because of that. If I if I think of uh, people I'm thinking now uh, Somalia, I'm thinking of uh, of for example one brother I interviewed a young, young married couple, okay, both Somali leaders. The, the brother's father is a very high position in Islam, very famous, you know. And I had, we were as a voice of the martyrs supporting them because they were already like this one, heavily persecuted when they come to the Lord from Islam. So uh, we supported their uh, wedding and helping with the new life a little bit. And I had a very nice radio interview, but some time ago they found him. He's dead. And now his wife is uh, fleeing, you know, in another place, okay? So, so there are so many cases all over. 
all over the world, you know, and uh, as we are helping them, I'm thinking of uh, northern Nigeria, uh, those sub-Saharan countries, Sahel area, is really one of the worst at the moment when it comes to Christian persecution. You know, when, when we go to statistics, but I have seen it by my own eyes, you know. Boko Haram, you know this, Boko Haram, Muslim uh, terrorists there in northwest uh, Nigeria, uh, very bad Islamic movement and uh, very unreached country tribe. I remember when I started in this uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs five years ago, and uh, we are already helping humanitarian way Christians who have lost everything there. But then we were praying, Lord, you see this Kanuri people, you see these Boko Haram areas. Lord, open the way to preach the gospel there. And we have in this uh, Voice of the Martyrs, like what you are doing, Matthias, we have a lot of frontline evangelists mm. who go there and pay high price, and we support them. We support their families and uh, secret training and safe houses and all kinds of things, what is needed, you know, empowering. And uh, Lord has opened marvelous ways, you know. We have now one of the Boko Haram top imam has come to the Lord, and we have a secret training uh, for the believers there. I'm thinking, for example, uh, Brother Bashir, uh, you know, he was... Uh, he does when I met him he he didn't even know how his age we suppose he's like your age a little bit more than 20 okay but uh, his father is a very famous uh, ISIS fighter fighting in Iraq and always showing films how he has been kill killing uh, calf, and this means uh, Christians, infidels, and his mom is a jihadist fighter, you know. And uh, Bashir, when he was a young boy, he was chosen in this Boko Haram militant. Okay, he was he grew up in the forest. They have military camps there, and he learned to, even as a small boy, you know, he it was too heavy for him to carry a gun. So they cut the gun, and uh, when they had uh, prisoners, he was a small boy when he first, from very close, he shot the first Christians like this. Mm. And uh, his dream was to die as a jihadist fighter, so two or three times he had this uh, uh, bomb belt. He went to Christian places to explode himself, but they never... Uh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was alive, and then he grew up, and um, he became the captain of Boko Haram. So he had hundred, uh, 300 soldiers under his, uh, under his authority. And uh, once, when they had just burned one church and people had died, you know... This time he was curious. He went inside to see how they look like. And he was shocked because uh, the church didn't look like what he what he was taught. You know, that there is uh, 
They are just drinking there and worshipping idols. There's nothing like this. He started thinking, has he been taught some kind of wrong way about Christianity? And then uh, when when they did all the, those attacks against the Christians, burning churches and killing them, he showed us when we when we did actually the second book, African Tahdet Salainen Seurakunta Jihadin Warriors, the stars of Africa, secret church under the shadow of Jihad. He showed us how he killed Christians quickly and slowly, sometimes torturing. And then he showed us how to cut the head, beheat them in a good way, because beheading is not so easy, he said. You know, mm. it, it, but he showed us the techniques and all kinds, that, that type of guy. And But he started thinking, how is it that we attack Christians, but they never attack against us? Mm. Uh, one day, a uh, white man appeared to him. And he said, your creator doesn't hate you. He loves you. Wow. And actually, he appeared three times to him. And he didn't know it is Jesus. But later, when he was fed up with Boko Haram, he wanted to flee and surrender to Nigerian army. He met a man who explained to him he gave his life to the Lord. And now... Basir is in our train, secret training camp, and I never, I never forget him saying to me, he looked at me and said, Jesus has forgiven all my sins. He's so powerful. Such a sin. And then he said, why can't I already call back to my tribes to preach the gospel? He says, it is no problem for me to die for Jesus because I was ready to die for evils for so many years. That type of people, we are as the voice of the martyrs mm. supporting and helping. But we are helping a lot of widows as well who People at Boko Haram and Fulani Muslims have killed, brutally killed their homes, their, their husbands, cut in pieces, burnt their houses, their fields. They are now in refugee camps. We help them. We, we give them uh, fields where they can come to safe area, places to grow the land and get some income and, and so on, so on. Mm -hmm. We have... Uh, we, we help uh, the school in the area where Boko, uh, Boko Haram in one night killed 501 Christians. And there's uh, no school, Christian school we are supporting beside the graveyard. And uh, it's a very dangerous area. I went there for the first time. They asked me, uh, do you want an uh, armed vehicle? How many soldiers you want to go there with you? You know, um, 
many attacks just one day before I went there. There were already, again, many people killed. But we are supporting those children, you know, they're like the apple of God's eye, you know. Yeah. God is for children, and there's a Christian, this is Christian, Christian teachers, Christian school, very good biblical basis, and children grow, and God has blessed the school, you know, it's been very successful in this sense, they are learning. But, you know, that type of things we are doing in many, many countries, in 70 countries, actually, yes. Well, 70 countries, and I think like these are the countries with the with the higher populations than Western countries, yeah. like China and India and yeah. all these Africa. I think like yeah. in in more or or the population in those areas where Christians are facing this is yeah. bigger. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, where they aren't, so yeah. the majority of the world, our, yeah. our brothers, our sisters. Yes. Are getting per how many people do you think like in terms of an estimation of of numbers of of believers are facing this kind of I I say hundreds of millions of people. I don't call like uh, for example open doors which is giving statistics about this. I'm very careful with uh, mm -hmm. statistics. I don't want to give any exaggerations. We are as the worst of the martyrs more uh more relation building organizations. Mm -hmm. Those people we serve, we really know they are suffering because of the name of the Lord, you know, and we are helping them. So, but, but, uh, but the fact is still, even though I say about statistics like this, that, uh, that the Christian persecution is increasing and it's increasing many areas a lot. But at the same time, it doesn't mean like in Nigeria, You've been there in the south, okay? You can freely worship there. You can go to Lagos and you can see churches in every single corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's no problem. But uh, but when you go up to the north, it's another story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is another story. So so many times persecution is uh, part of the country. Uh, it depends, you know. Yeah. So, why why haven't we ever heard of this like in the society? If it's so so big, why do people not talk about it? And yeah, should we talk about it? Yeah, sometimes I think we are not telling the truth because uh, there's a huge silence. Yeah, if I if I look at the media, uh, it's very seldom. Mm. It's very seldom they say anything about this, you know, yeah. and. Uh, and uh, yeah, many times there, there can be a number of reasons. I think Matthias is that um, maybe there are political reasons. You know, if you think of, uh, for example, China. Okay, if you say something against Chinese politics, no business. If you think of Muslim nations, they they think that there's a big uh, uproar against. Everything they come with terrorists and they have oil. You don't get oil, so we are so dependent on each other. You know, money talks. This is one thing, you know. But uh, when we go deep to the roots, I think there is the spiritual battle. You know, mm. there's a there's a devil who is the father of lies, mm. like in Russia. You know, 
they try to say, Russians say, we are going to help Ukraine. Yeah. But you have been in Ukraine. Have they come to help the country? No. No, they have not come to help. They say that they are rescuing Ukraine. What they, they have been destroying it. The same is, you know, you know, devil is trying to change the truth into lie and 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 so on. You know. Yeah. So, you know, here in in Europe and in in Finland, we only hear these stories, and I remember hearing some of the stories of. Like Brother Yun in China, and yeah, all these per persecutions, and I heard so many of the heroic stories that got my heart burning. And even when I started facing this reality myself, like one of our directors for our ministry, our Arm of Grace in 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 South Asia, he used to be a persecutor, a jihadist persecutor. Yeah. As a fourteen-year-old, he he came to beat up a group of Christians on the street who were sharing some books and he was beating them and hurting them and he was about to burn them. But a voice from heaven spoke to him and said, stop this and said, take one of their books and leave. And he said he took one of their books and went home and started reading it and God encountered him. He turned to follow Jesus. He was kicked out from him, his home, 14 years old, lived on the train tracks, became an evangelist, became an apostle, planting churches, preaching the gospel everywhere. And helping the person, and we, and and so many of these heroic of how God, yeah. how God completely flips it for His purposes, for His advantage. But then also there's the other side. I just recently kind of started seeing this reality, where it's not always so heroic and so oh. noble. Like I was just just recently in a country where it was illegal to do some of these things, and the church was so scared and so so just. Uh, kind of sterilized in a way where it was so much fear yeah and so much concern like yes. afraid to do do anything and yeah and like you remember the covid times even here in the west where like it was illegal to or it was i had very heavy social pressure to do anything like this and so how is it like what is it like to live under persecution for most people and how can we, how can we, in somehow yeah, I help think, them? And I think Matthias, you are so right. You know, sometimes we have like too much glorious picture of persecuted Christians that they are like all like angels, and mm. but you know they really feel the pain. Mm. They they feel they are neglected, forsaken, forgotten. Even when I think of uh, John the Baptist in the prison, you know, mm. somehow he was waiting for to be beheaded, and uh, he had doubts, I think. He somehow could send the message to Jesus, are you the one, are you, are you really, Jesus, are you really, really the one, you know? Yeah. And I think the message Jesus sent to prison was really encouraging John, mm. you know, tell the John, Amen. Yeah. And he was uh, he was ready to call the next step than to be beheaded. So these are people, you know, when you are in prison, when you are in a difficult situation, you know, people ask there in the prison, is there somebody out there who try to help me? Yeah. Is there somebody you are alone, alone, alone? Many 
many doubts come, you know, the, you, you have to face them, you know. You know, if somebody is like what we are doing, Voice of the Martyr, sending them letters, you have been sometimes writing, you know, and encouraging them with the card, Bible words in their language, a smiling picture, whatever, something small. You know, it's really, really helping. When I've been sharing these cards, you know, in the in the refugee camps for those Christians, you know, I see how they feel there is somebody far away who's remembering me, you know. We need encouragement, you know. We need we need help, you know. And the Bible says, like, remember the Yeah, Hebrews thirteen three is like actually our like uh, Key words for this, uh, how to say this in English. Uh, Remember those who are in prison as if you were there. Yes. Yeah, and, and remembering in the Bible is not just remembering somebody who's dead. You know, we are remembering him. It's very nice. It's important by funeral. But remembering is something that, like in the Old Testament, it says, and uh, God remembered Noah, and the flood came down. Okay, remembering is always something practical, and and we can do many things. I remember what happened to us people here in Lahti and in Jordan. They came to help our family. It's practical. We are one family. It's if one body suffers, everybody suffers. One is. Rejoicing, you know what? How gospel is spreading? They are all rejoicing. Amen. Yeah, yeah. This is this is very clear. So we can help. We can help uh, praying for them, uh, supporting financially, helping frontline evangelists, empowering them. You know all kinds of things. You know we can we can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We appeal to authorities as well, so that on governmental level they do something. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing about our family there in these places and for helping them. So easy to just make a social media post and say that I care, but then you guys are actually, like you said, there's something, there's action. Compassion runs with yeah. action. It's it's something real. Yeah. Love looks like something. It has yeah. skin in in some ways. And so I'm glad you guys exist. And, and uh, I, I am seeing some of your work and the other Voice of the Mother offices work in like Tanzania and some other places. And so I can encourage people to get behind your ministry and to support you guys and pray for you guys. And also, I would just love to hear before we finish, like, like you said, you, you alluded to Matthew 24, where Jesus says that there will come a time when you will be hated, a nation will rise against nation. We will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be disease, and you will be hated by all nations. By all nations. For my name's sake. And he finishes and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation as a testimony, and then the end will come. And so can you just share just like some of the hope that we have of what God is doing in spite and in the midst of all this? All this yeah. Thing? yeah, we see God's program coming to, coming to the 
it's coming true, you know. Carr is accomplishing it. And actually, the original text is very strong in Matthew 24, 14. It says that the gospel will be preached. Yeah. It will go forward, you yeah. know. It is not like maybe or somehow, yeah, if circumstances are good or something like that. It will go to the ends of the earth. And Matthias, you are part of this God's plan for the nations. Like we all who are listening to this program, God wants all, all of us to be part of his kingdom program, uh, promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ by all means to all people and all nations. Yeah, and it seems like it will never, if you read the Bible, it seems like the gospel will never advance without risk and without bruises, yeah. and without pain. It's always, it's part of the default settings, the factory settings that the, as, as the church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so God does some miraculous work here where his church is put into, into pressure and somehow his kingdom kingdom comes through that. And it looks like that that the church is at, at the strongest. When it's weak, it is strong. Yeah. You know, in those church. areas, as you see, Matthias, uh, Christians are strong. Yeah. Yeah, where, where there's more pressure, you know. Yeah. Oftentimes, when, when, when we have everything here, we forget God, you know. Yeah. We don't have this uh, fire and dependency anymore on him. But uh, but when there's pressure, people start uh, seeking God. Like uh, like uh, during the Second World War here in Finland, you know, mm -hmm. churches were full, and the president commanded everybody has to pray every day. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it seems like because the way we think sometimes here, where we're from, is if there is risk, we want to avoid it. Yeah. If there is trouble, we want to avoid it, and we want to do something quote wise. Yeah. yeah. It means something without risk. Yeah. Well, without yeah. trouble, or without pain, but it seems like the biblical way, and the way that is really growing the church and the kingdom in all these places: China, Iran, uh, North Africa, A Asia, is that when there is risk, we go with that with the Hallelujah. promise of God Amen. and the courage of Christ Hallelujah. and the power of the Holy Spirit Hallelujah. and the compassion of Jesus. Amen. And when there is darkness, light will overcome. And we do not step back. We do not run away from the darkness and we do not hide from the pain. But mm. by, by Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit, we have given everything we need to overcome. Yeah. It may look like foolishness to the world. It may feel like, like we are sowing with tears. But one day we will reap with joy. Amen. And so, yeah, I, I think we both want to encourage the church that, uh, look, come what may, we, we must obey, we must go, and we must represent him. And actually these times when there is more pain and when there is more challenge, these are actually the times we were made for to shine and to bring the kingdom of God into that darkness. And so we don't have to be victims to the circumstances around us we don't have to submit to the fear and the voice of the enemy but we get to take the promise of god and move forward with faith and victory and sometimes it'll mean bruises but it'll never mean loss 
because uh, Jesus wins everywhere, every time. Amen. So, okay, thank you, Anu, so much for taking this time to sit down with me. I know we're both traveling; we both have busy lives, and so yeah. you you've been asking me to come on your shows, and now I had to <laughs> have the chance to have you on on my my <laughs> channel. This was a really, really nice uh, meeting, Matthias, today. I'm always so encouraged and uplifted to see a young man like you, and I know your story, and it is only the beginning of the story in your life. It's not the end of the story. Go forward to it. Amen. The best is yet to come for all of us. Yes. Yeah.